My name is Ishan Rola. And I'm Annie Knudsen. And welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight, the podcast where students from different areas of life, undergraduate, graduate, or medical school, share their stories with mental health. A quick warning to those listening, this podcast deals with heavy themes such as depression, anxiety, and suicide, and it is left unfiltered in regards to language and content. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to put down in any way the mental health resources brought on campus. However, we must acknowledge how they cannot serve every student. Every week, you will hear a new student tell their story. We hope these stories will shine a light on the often overlooked issue of mental health and provide a place of comfort for those currently suffering. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's story. I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder when I was either nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Um, along with that, I've dealt with so I've dealt with some pretty bad anxiety, um, depression. Depression typically coincides with anxiety right. most of the time. Right. So I've, uh, there have been times I've dealt with some pretty bad um, depression. There's been times where almost kind of anorexia at Mm -hmm. certain points um not I wouldn't say it was as bad but I definitely had periods of that um and then slight ADD which I actually got diagnosed with recently Mm -hmm. um and I, I have some OCD tendencies but it's never really been enough to significantly impact my life like the other ones have okay so what I want to go into next is if you remember, like, the first time you dealt with um, either, like, depression and anxiety, anorexia, AD, did you say ADD or ADHD? ADD. ADD. I, I think I have a definitive first moment. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to explain how my anxiety manifests yeah, to absolutely. make a lot of the story make sense. Yeah, yeah, go for it. My anxiety took the form of I was an anxious purger. Mm-hmm. So what that means is... It, it can take a lot of forms, but it's essentially that these anxious feelings build up and build up and build up, and then eventually you just have to have a way of releasing. Mm-hmm. For me, it was throwing up, so mm-hmm. I would get really, 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 really anxious, and I would just like run to the bathroom and throw up, and I would feel better, even though I didn't deal with any of the feelings. Right. It's like this psychological just feeling of relief, and mm-hmm. you use that as an outlet, and then you feel fine, but then you don't feel fine like five minutes later because you just threw up. So I was in Mexico. It was, uh, I think, the first time that I remember going out of the country Mm -hmm. on a family vacation. It was also the first time that I ever went somewhere where I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with the language because I I spoke minimal Spanish because my dad did. And I just kept on throwing up for no reason and I wasn't eating and I was just worried about everything and at the time I didn't really know that I was worried but I just everything felt off and my parents were super confused and my mom was upset that I wasn't feeling well and Mm -hmm. she didn't know how to deal with it my dad didn't know how to deal with it and I was just like it was it was a really rough trip honestly it's something I look back on and 
don't really have any fond memories about it other than the fact that that's what started the conversation that ultimately Mm -hmm. is what ended up with me getting help so but it was it was really bad um I I think I ate like three times in like a week long period like full 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 meals and I like nibbled and stuff there right um, without like throwing it up. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was bad. It was bad. Um, but yeah, I think that was one of the first moments that my parents really knew something was probably wrong. Okay. So. Okay. Um, so I know you said that you were diagnosed when you were younger, like nine, 10. Yeah. Is that like, like young to be diagnosed with um, this or do you, like, do you know? It's hard to say cause I definitely... I definitely think someone could have spotted those tendencies when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've, I always had that predisposition, and my my mom's always been an anxious person. So I, I believe if there is some component of heritability that right. we find out that I most likely got it from her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think I was on the earlier side to get diagnosed because mm-hmm. it's it's pretty common to get diagnosed right. with things like ADD, ADHD. When you're younger, mm-hmm. but anxiety and depression, I think people just kind of blow it off when you're a kid. Right. It's like, oh, they're not feeling well. Because, like, you, a lot of times kids can't put those feelings into words super right. well. They don't know how to express yeah. that it's not just, I feel, like, yeah, sad I because feel something weird. happened. So, yeah. Right. Um, for me, I was an only child, which mm-hmm. I think helped, um, helped with me getting help just because my parents had a lot more time to spend on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, being an only child, I grew up having to express myself a lot more in like coherent ways. So I feel like I was able to talk about it to my parents potentially earlier than other kids did, which is I think mm-hmm. ultimately what what helped me express those feelings and then helped them bring me to the right people. Okay. So. Um, so after you were diagnosed, were you, um, prescribed any like medication? And no. no, 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 I, my mom doesn't like taking medication. I hate taking medication in any form. I will mm-hmm. sit there and grit my teeth through pain and yeah, I, I just don't like taking it and right. then learning about what those medications can do and the side effects and how mm-hmm. it changes your neurochemistry it's just something I never want to deal with. And I'm very glad that I had a family that didn't want to deal with that Mm -hmm. as a whole. Cause my, my dad is, is a, he's a proponent of it. He'll just like, Oh, a pill makes me feel better. Perfect. But like, I remember like with my wisdom teeth, I had the minimum Novocaine that I could have for the procedure to not have any pain. And I took like one extra strength Tylenol after I was out and, that was it. Like I wow. was in agony, but I just refused I to, to take say, the that's medication. Kind of crazy. I remember taking like, I think they gave me like Oxycontin or yeah. something. And I remember and, taking a couple of those, but and I got fifty pills of that too, and I didn't that's take a single a one. Whole another thing about yeah, that, that's, that's a different story. Yeah, exactly. But so, like, you think that even if you had been prescribed something, were you not prescribed something? Because I was never prescribed something. Were you not we, prescribed something because you didn't want it, or because they just didn't think you? My parents asked me. Okay. Even when I was really little, they asked me if I wanted to try something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what 
behind-the-scenes conversations my parents had with right. doctors, but my mom was definitely in the camp of, I do not want to medicate my child. I would rather mm-hmm. do everything in my power other than medicate him. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful that she did that because I... And I, I get that medication works for some people, mm-hmm. and I get how beneficial it can be. I just think that if you just throw medication at people, you're not necessarily addressing the root concerns mm-hmm. of their condition. You can fix some of the imbalances, but if you still have destructive tendencies and destructive thoughts and you're not educated in a way to balance those the pills will only do so much. Right. And so for me, I think we're too prone to, oh, my kid's ill. I I don't have time to deal with that. Give him something. And so fortunately, my parents didn't have to do that and they could take the time to do that. And so I think that's why I was never medicated. That's really interesting because I think that most people that I've talked to, if they've been like prescribed with something, they're, it's like, I hear mostly like positive things about it besides like the side effects yeah so that's really interesting I've never heard that like side of it before from somebody so so since you don't um have any sort of like medication that you're taking have you tried any sort of like therapy yeah yeah I does that seem to like work for you I am a big proponent of therapy yeah I I think therapy is a fantastic thing and everyone should do it because everyone has things that they could work on Mm -hmm. Um, I have seen four different therapists throughout my life for various things and for various periods of time. So there's, there's a lot of different kinds of therapy and I don't know how familiar you are with a lot of them. I know that there's therapy. The the (laughs) common conception of therapy is you go into a room and you talk to somebody. Right. That, I did that when I was younger. Like Mm -hmm. that was the first experience I had with therapy and that did nothing for me. Mm-hmm. it did nothing it's right. just like I would talk about how I was feeling the person would listen say like oh maybe you don't want to think that way and then I would go home and leave and still have the same destructive behaviors the same fears the same issues mm-hmm. things like that so I went to that therapist for about a year I think and then my parents were like okay there's there's no improvement let's try something else so then I went to essentially the therapist that saved my life and uh, I uh, did something called cognitive behavioral therapy okay I have heard of that but I'm still not completely sure what the difference between that and like typical therapy is also there was there was a book that I read that was cognitive behavioral therapy too and that that was really helpful too Um, but that that was when I was younger and like between going to that first therapist and going to the second therapist Mm -hmm. And that, that did help for a period of time, but I think my anxiety just grew to the point where I needed more one-on-one kind of attentive approaches mm-hmm. to it compared to, like, that general idea of the book. But I, I do think that that book helped me a lot, and it, I believe it was called My Anxious Child, mm-hmm. and it was something that the kid reads part of it and the adult reads part of it, and there's, like, work things and guides and stuff like that for the kid to read and for the parent to read Mm -hmm. and like work on together and that helped a lot because it helped educate my mom a lot too about it before we went into the next therapy Mm -hmm. part um but then 
the second therapist I visited, I did cognitive behavioral therapy, like I said, and that focused on changing the thoughts that led to destructive behaviors and also becoming more comfortable with things that I was anxious about. Because mm-hmm. my anxiety was so bad in middle school, I was close to probably being an agoraphobe. I was okay. terrified of everything. I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't, for a period of time, want to eat anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was a very, very rough time for me. Um, and... I did a lot of what's called step laddering. Okay. So it's where you identify a fear that you have and then you take that fear and you break it down into what is the smallest thing that I can do to make myself more comfortable with it and then build off of that. So it's mm-hmm. like if you think about a pool as an analogy, the first step would be dipping your pinky toe in right, and then all of your toes in right. and then your foot your leg up to your knee, your leg right. up to your thigh, both legs like up to your neck and then diving head in. Right. So you do that and over time you realize like, okay, I didn't die doing this. <laughs> so uh, next time I'm going to feel more comfortable that I didn't die doing it the first time. And so right. now I won't probably won't die the second time. And right. then you do that all the way up t- to the top and you're like, Oh, yeah, this isn't so bad. Right. Is that like a form of, I don't know if this is like an outdated term, like exposure therapy almost? I know that's more uh, for like phobias. than. Yeah, like... no, that I would definitely call it something like that. I don't know if the terminology fits super neatly there. Right. But um, it definitely is a way of doing that. I think it's, it's a kinder way of doing it mm-hmm. as opposed to like just throwing yourself head into something right. over and over again until you don't okay. hate it anymore. Okay. Um. But yeah, I yeah. think, I think for me, and I've, I've talked to like other people that I know, friends, roommates, things like that mm-hmm. about anxieties that they have. And I've suggested that and I found that it's been helpful for them too. Right. So it's something that I really, really like and would suggest to anybody. So like for me, I was really afraid of heights when I was younger. Right. And we actually had a family trip to Europe coming up. Uh-huh. And we wanted to go up the Eiffel Tower. And I grew up, my mom was an architect before I was born. So she like always would build with me and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And I loved buildings like that. And so the Eiffel Tower is just a super cool engineering feat to me to look at. And uh, I really wanted to go up it. So I step laddered heights. So it was like the tallest building in my town. And then the tallest building somewhere else. And then my ultimate thing to prove to myself that I would be fine was I grew up around Chicago and I went up the Sears tower now called the Willis (laughs) tower. Um, and they have glass boxes that go off the side. And my last step on my step ladder was laying face down on the glass box outside. And I was able to do it because I had, grown comfortable right. enough with all those other things and I mean right and I bet you felt great when you yeah, did it it, like when it you finally was, did it yeah it's that's I mean, that's awesome I'm proud of you <laughs> it's it's a really good feeling when something that used to feel like it was ruining your life doesn't feel like it's ruining your life anymore mm-hmm. so it's it's really nice yeah that's that's really impressive um so I guess moving on um 
you sort of talked about family history with this, maybe with your mom. Yeah. Um, do you have any family members who have been diagnosed or is it just more like you feel like maybe certain family members like like your mom like might have something like this or just like tend to be more nervous? I don't think there have been any official diagnosis, mm-hmm. but um, my mom, like you said, has anxious tendencies. My dad most likely has OCD, mm-hmm. has not been diagnosed with it. Um, grandparents have shown tendencies at various times. So I don't believe there's any nailed down familial history, but there are enough tendencies for me to be like, they probably have it. And if they went to see someone, they would probably be told that they have it, Mm -hmm. but they just haven't done that at this point. They're, they're comfortable enough with it to the point where it doesn't go through the motions without it affecting them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I know you talked a little bit about how you um, internalize your anxiety with the anxious purging. Is that what you called it? Yeah. Is there um, any ways that you internalize, like, you, you talked about, like, your ADD or, like, um, depression? Like, are there any ways that, like, you internalize that that you want to share? Um, I mean, when everything was really bad, I just numbed myself to everything. Mm-hmm. There was a one or two year period of my life where I tried so hard to just make it through the day and like make it through each minute that it didn't really feel like I felt anything. I was just kind of trudging through life. Just everything went around me. I was just trying to make it through the day. Um, And that was kind of my way of like trying to internalize everything, Mm -hmm. keep it in, try and like put up a barrier and not deal with all the stuff that was making me hate life. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was there was that. The other thing, too, was when you wake up almost every morning and throw up and don't eat breakfast mm-hmm. and don't eat part of your lunch and then, like, only really eat at dinner, you uh, don't really have a lot of energy to function throughout the day and a lot of energy to process things so that kind of helped numb me out too to mm-hmm. the fact of like what was going on around me so that's that's kind of how I internalized everything um so like on a day-to-day basis like what is it what like what what is it like I guess for a day with your mental illness for you like is there oh for me now I'm completely different oh yeah 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 I mean I'm I'm infinitely better well that's that's good to hear better oh my god me me god even like five years ago is a completely different person and you talk to anyone in my family Mm -hmm. and it's automatically like they're they're two different people entirely um that's good to hear my anxiety i would argue is like 97 percent under control uh, with all the therapy that i did and Mm -hmm. The experiences I've had, honestly, have helped contain it, too. I mean, depression comes up sometimes, I would say, more than anxiety at this point, Mm -hmm. because it's like, I have to go to school for the full day, or I could lay in bed. Right. Yeah, I might skip that class. me, with the weather right now, it was just like... It's it's been hard. Yeah. Um, Sometimes, too, it's like, it's super easy to get down about, like, being single, or... Mm -hmm all my friends are doing fun stuff and I'm not doing fun stuff. And Mm -hmm. so 
that's kind of how it manifests more now. But right. um, I'm I like to say, knock on wood, I'm doing pretty right. well. Um, I mean, I still have test anxiety, so mm-hmm. that's something like. I don't really feel like eating on days where I have tests, so I have to force myself to eat. Right. Like that's not fun, mm-hmm. but it's it's nowhere close to where I was right. when I was younger. Right. If you want me to go through a day in the life of Jared when I was <laughs> younger, like that's an entirely different story. I mean, you're free to if, if you want to. If you don't really want to go into it, we can just skip over it. I mean, when I was younger, it was wake up early, mm-hmm. wake up anxious, okay, run to the bathroom, throw up. And that, like, there's nothing in my stomach at the time, so I'm just throwing up bile. Sit there, pretend that I'm going to eat breakfast, don't eat breakfast, walk, go to the bus, ride the bus to school. My mom would always send me snacks and stuff like that to eat or breakfast to eat Mm -hmm. because I didn't eat it. Um, I would carry that around in my pocket for, like, the first few days of class and throw it out. And that's, that's something I... As I got older, I felt really guilty about how much food I wasted during those years just because, like, they, my mom would send me, like, packets of, like, mini wheats or something like mm-hmm. that just for me to nibble on in class. And there were some days where I ate them, too, but mm-hmm. like, majority of the time I wouldn't eat anything until lunch. Um, and then the distraction of friends at lunch was typically enough for me to get through my lunch. Okay. Um, most days where I, I would eat a lot of that um, and then go home, eat dinner. So for me, it was predominantly the mornings. The mornings were the worst, worst time. Um, there were other periods of my life, because I was I was also bullied a lot when I was younger, mm-hmm. which does not help with anxiety no, and depression at all. At all. Um, the worst it ever was, I... It was at summer camp, and I would throw up every morning, wouldn't eat, would throw up again when I got to camp, like, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I would eat at home, like, force myself, like, through gagging to eat just so my parents wouldn't think anything was wrong, and then I would go throw up at camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I got bullied horribly at camp, so I just felt miserable all day at camp, would barely eat my lunch, throughout the rest of my lunch. And this was like a sailing camp too. So I was doing physical activity all day on top of it. So I was like delirious by the time I got home and would just like try and put on a smile and be like, Mm -hmm. oh, camp's fine. And then go home, finally eat dinner. And then the cycle would just repeat. So it was, that was probably the worst that it ever was by far. And yeah. Just the mixture of the bullying combined with mm-hmm. my own internal demons was just too much for someone who didn't have the skills that I have now to handle. Mm-hmm. I think if I was me at that time, it would have been a lot more manageable. But like when you're young and no one's taught you how to express your feelings and you don't really know how to deal with bullying and all of those things, it's it was really it was a really, really hard summer for me. Yeah. I was suicidal during that time. Mm-hmm. I I had pretty much picked out how I wanted to die. Didn't do like a, a note or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, it's funny because the thing that I've talked to my parents about is the fact that 
I think the only thing that kept me from killing myself during that time was how afraid of dying I was. My anxiety mm. of death right. kept me from taking my own life. A lot of the times I've heard the language of like weakness. Right. It's a connotation that a lot of people get from it. It's how they perceive it. It's like, oh, you gave up on something. Right. Yeah, you and, hear the sentence like, oh, they gave up on life. Yeah. Like a lot of the and time. And it's, it's hard because I would never want to say anything positive about suicide. Right. Because I would never want to encourage someone to do it. Right. Because I don't want anyone to die. I want people right. to get the help that they need. But I don't necessarily think that calling someone weak for committing suicide right. is right yeah. or it's correct. Because as someone who thought about it for a long time, I did not have the strength to do it. And I will use that exact wording of I didn't have the strength to right. do it. It is it is a incredibly hard thing to go through. Like they're like typically one of the reasons why the hanging thing was never pleasant to me is nine times out of ten, when people are found hanging like having hung themselves, mm -hmm. there's always claw marks at their neck or at the belt or at the rope or something like that. Because the majority of the time, you don't actually want to die. Right. And it just seems like it's the only way out. And if someone does go down that road, you can't necessarily blame them because they probably didn't want to choose that. Right. And so I, I think that that's something that we need to work on. Yeah. It's not glorifying it because it shouldn't be glorified. It's not condemning it because... To a degree, it's not really a condemnable right. thing. It's so beyond the scope of people who have never felt it or experienced it reality mm -hmm. that it's not something that you can just blindly shame because it is so it's so strong of a feeling. I didn't let my parents know that I felt that way for a long time. Right. It came up in therapy later mm -hmm. on, and it devastated my parents that they had no idea that I felt that low at one point in time and I was that close to it because being being afraid about death and being not really too comfortable with pain I the way I always wanted to do it was uh, like Socrates died. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I'm not familiar with Socrates' death. He uh, was, I believe, he was going to be executed for something against the government, um, mm -hmm. something philosophy related, and he apparently slit his wrists and sat in warm water, and the warm water stops the blood from clotting, so you essentially just bleed out, and so other than the pain of the cuts in your wrist, you just kind of slowly lose consciousness and then die so um that's the way that i was gonna do it because like the thought of hanging myself or shooting myself we didn't have a gun in the house so shooting myself was instantly off the table mm -hmm. um hanging myself just never seemed super pleasant of an idea ODing, i didn't have a way to do that so i had a bathroom right next to my room and my parents mm -hmm. room was on the other side of the house so for me that was like boom like the instant kind of right. way out, I guess. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. I know that's like not an easy thing to talk about with yeah. essentially a stranger. No, it's it's. So I appreciate no. you being so open about it. It's something where like, because I'm so far removed from it, it's mm-hmm. almost like the one thing that I think back to is how I made my parents feel and like the the little bit of tearing up is that I'm happy that I never right. hurt my parents in that way so mm-hmm. that's that's the part that makes me emotional more than any of the feelings that come back is mm-hmm. because I know how close I was and now right. that I'm in college and doing somewhat okay it's like what I would have missed out on if I if I didn't if I didn't do that and also knowing that the reason why I didn't do it was because I got help in a timely manner Mm -hmm. and the fact that there are so many people out there that don't get help right and so it's kind of a mix of all those feelings knowing that there are a lot of people right now thinking the same things that a younger me thought Right. And they might go down that path because they don't have the resources that they need. Mm-hmm. And it that's something that just pains, like breaks my heart. Right. And it's kind of helps steer my career goals because yeah. going down the law policy narrow right. route yeah. is kind of, it dovetails into one another. And I'm really passionate about the idea that everyone should be able to get the mental health care that they need yeah. but yeah that's that's why I get emotional about it more right. so than thinking about the feelings themselves because mm-hmm. I feel so removed from them yeah. I I definitely have the ability to go right back to it like I can picture how I felt in that time but it, it's hard to put myself back in that place because I know how great life can be now and I've had amazing friendships and I've traveled the world and I've done all those things so it's it's weird yeah the pain from it and the the tears come from knowing what it's like for other people that are dealing with it now is is what bugs me more so yeah how exactly do you feel like like what were the first steps that you took to like kind of help yourself get to the point where you said your anxiety is 97% gone like yeah what what was like the first step for you to like get help like how did you start to recover was Um, it mostly just like did you go to therapy right away or was there like a little bit of time before you decided you needed it or so there's the book the book helped Mm -hmm. a lot um but then it, I think it got to a point, and it was after the summer that I got bullied so bad. My, I finally told my parents that I was bullied. I just broke down right. in the car one day because I had always been like, "Oh, camp's fine. Oh, camp's fine." And I just, I was sobbing one day because I had a carabiner on my water bottle that mm-hmm. I always, so I could like clip it to anywhere on the boat. Right. It was just something I always did, and. They took the carabiner, and I think someone had given it to me, and they, like, clipped it off the boat, and then it, like, flew into the water, and so it was lost forever, and I was super upset about it, because, like, we were doing this thing called trapezing when you sail, where Mm -hmm. you clip into a harness, and there's these steel wires that go 
over the mast in certain boats and you hook onto the harness and you lean back on it. And it's a more advanced form of keeping the boat from capsizing. So when it's really windy, it's a super good skill to have. And it's like essential and high level sailing that you're able to do it so that you can keep the boat off. And that was one of the cooler things I've done, I would say in general. It's like a, it's a super free, like floating feeling because you're literally hanging off going at like 30 miles an hour, just like floating in air. And so I came back from that to them having taken something of mine that I liked and then it now being gone. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, was the catalyst for me to then say, okay, I'm being bullied. And then that was kind of the downstream of, like, me breaking down. I think my parents recognized, like, okay, he really needs help. Right. Like, this isn't something that we have the skills to deal with. He has the skills to deal with. And so that mm-hmm. was then when I went to more advanced therapy which was the cognitive behavioral therapy and um that working my therapist name was karen she was german so she pronounced stuff interesting so it wasn't karen it was karen (laughs) um and she helped me become the person that i am today i am eternally grateful to her. You still in contact with her at all? Uh, no, I I haven't spoken to her since my last therapy session. Mm-hmm. Um, would love to talk to her again, just let her know how I'm doing, but I don't really have a way of, of right. contacting her. I don't yeah. remember her last name or anything like that. But um, yeah, working with her was what the turnaround was for me. That yeah. those... I think it was almost two years. The two years that I spent working with her allowed me to take back control of my life, not kill myself, mm-hmm. become a happier person. Um, yeah, so that that was the major turning point. I can't necessarily solidify any point working with her, but the whole experience of working with her was incredibly empowering and positive, so. Do you feel like she did something differently than, like, other therapists that you've had in the past that, like, seemed to work better for you, or? So I think it was a a kind of storm of factors, if you could call it that. Um, It was, I think, a mixture of age. I was at a very pliable age. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, being like 13, 14, so I was easily or easily influenced. Um, so that definitely helped with shifting the way that I thought. Um, there was, she was much more aggressive about making a change with things. It wasn't, let me talk to you. It's, we're going to talk about stuff that bugs you and we're going to fix it. I've always been like, I need you to be aggressive with me. Like, I need you to force me to do stuff to propel me to, like, a better place. So it, um, yeah, and I I didn't realize that I needed that when I saw her, but I think she just kind of realized the place that I was at. She really pushed a directive. She forced me to do stuff that really did not make me comfortable. And uh, that is the only way that I got better, honestly. Um, I remember breaking down a dozen times in her office just mm-hmm. because 
she made me do things that were made me miserable. So when you, you said you went back to therapy for your test anxiety, was yeah. that through Ohio State or was no. it outside? So I filled out the mental health analysis mm-hmm. survey freshman year and freshman year was really rough for me. I um, had a ton of health issues. Does everybody do that analysis thing? Is no. that like a thing you have to do? No, it's, oh, okay. it's like a, it's, okay. it was like a form that you could fill out because okay. I, I was having a really rough time. I was getting absolutely destroyed by chemistry mm-hmm. because of my test anxiety. Mm-hmm. There was no matter how hard I studied, no matter how well I knew the material, I could teach it to all my friends. And I would go in and get a D on every test. Oh. That's just what my anxiety right. manifested as. Yeah. I just... I would read questions wrong. I would put the wrong answer down when I knew the right answer. I was just completely fried mm-hmm. thinking-wise during those tests. I filled out the form because I, I was also dealing with depression. I was away from home. I was trying to integrate uh, into a new social circle, new life. I wasn't eating super well because I didn't like a lot of campus food. Um, yeah, it was. I, I had various rough times um, on campus and... Uh, I filled out the form in, God, October, mm-hmm. and they got back to me in February. Yeah, that's a, that's... Like, that, that is okay. fundamentally not a right thing. It's like one article that pisses me off to no end was a few years ago. The VA suicide hotline had calls go to voicemail. Oh, God. And then they were... Some people didn't get the calls returned. Yikes. It's it's things like that where yeah. we are systematically failing right. people who need help. I don't care mm-hmm. if it's a budgeting issue. I don't care what it is. There's a population right. of people that need resources, w- are seeking out actively resources, mm-hmm. and we are essentially saying no to them. Yeah. And that is inexcusable. No. I don't I don't care what funding you need to divert. I don't care what needs to be right. done. Those are things that need to be addressed before before you do anything else. It is yeah. something that makes my blood boil to no end. So when I didn't hear back from Ohio mm-hmm. State in a month right. even, yeah. I just found someone private off campus. Right. And I paid for Ubers to go to, go to therapy because... I didn't hear anything right. from Ohio State. Yeah. So I personally hate their system. Right. I think Especially it is Especially since it's supposed to be free. It is. And yeah. And I get that it's free. And some people don't right. have the resources to do that. And so they have to wait. Right. But the fact that we have people on this campus killing themselves yeah. in public displays, yeah. jumping off of parking garages in broad daylight, and we have not revamped the mental health system at Ohio State as a whole and devoted significantly more funding and resources to it is beyond me. It is laughable that a major, one of the largest universities in the country does not have a robust enough mental health system to support its student body. It is doing everyone on campus a disservice, whether it's faculty that needs support, Mm -hmm. whether it's students that need support, it is ridiculous to me. It's people are ignorant to issues. They don't care enough about people. They haven't had someone that they know kill themselves, mm-hmm. so they don't view it as an issue. Right. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's dumb. It needs to change. Do you feel like, this is just like 
I guess, like, a hypothetical question. Do you think that, like, as time goes on and, like, our generation, like, raises generations to be more, I don't know, aware of, like, the stigma around mental health? It it is hard to say because I think as we understand more about mental health and Mm -hmm. research in the field has grown a ton, not necessarily funding, but we've found out a lot more about Mm it. So I think a lot more of us are educated, but the other thing that we also have to think about is you and I are both in college and we're surrounded by people of a certain mindset. Exactly. That doesn't account for people who aren't educated and don't have a certain level of health literacy. Mm -hmm. And they're oftentimes the people that need more targeted help. So mm-hmm. it's um, like you think about a small town in the middle of Oklahoma, say, and while there are, might be people that leave that town and go right. to college and go and do things and learn about these perspectives, they are surrounded by people that might not necessarily have those opportunities. Or you look at the inner city, too, and right. you see people who are living in cycles where they don't have the resources to get that education because it's not a part of our core Mm -hmm. education system. So they're, we're not giving everyone the tools. So I don't know if it'll be our generation, but I, I don't think it's something that you can say in 20 years and 30 years, it might be like 50 years or something like that. We'll have a more accepting and welcoming society, but I don't think the rate of change is fast enough for it to really be a big shift in in, in upcoming years, unless there is a Mm government-oriented or government-focused movement. So is that part of the reason why you want to go into politics, or is that the reason? That is is a major reason I want to be able to work in health law and work on – those issues that I see as being prevalent in our society and the ones that aren't being worked on as much as they should be. I could go and talk to Congress and say, hey, I was a kid at 13 that wanted to kill himself. I was given these resources. I'm here now alive because I had those resources. A lot, X percent of people don't have those resources. X percent of people are going to kill themselves. And now that X percent of people doesn't have the ability to become someone like me. Right. I think that's really valuable to like to be someone who could go to Congress. And like, like you said, there's a lot of people who don't know somebody who has struggled with this or if they do, they don't know that they're struggling with it. And to like have a face and like have a representative like that who like is a real person in front of them instead of just like, like statistics. statistics. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So no, it's, um, It's interesting because, like, I know so many people that have dealt with mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of my friends have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then some of my friends have had no experience with it. Like, two of my super close friends won't name them, but um, one of them has kind of run the gambit with mental health like I have. He has really bad ADHD. He's dealt with depression. He's dealt with anxiety. He has other health issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And my other friend really, really hasn't had any experience with it. I think... He's had depressive tendencies at times just because of workload and the pressure right. that he puts himself under and just lack of motivation and things like that. But 
it's interesting because my friend who has had all those issues and I will talk about stuff and even though the three of us are all insanely close and talk to each other very regularly, mm-hmm. my friend who hasn't had it doesn't really understand it that well. It doesn't mm-hmm. click with him for as much. And it, especially when we were newer friends, right. it was harder for him. And I actually have really seen a shift in him in recent years where he, instead of just kind of, kind of like glazing over when the topics came up, he's changed. Like if I text him, like I texted him the other day and I was like, man, I'm so stressed out right now. I have three tests on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I feel like crying right now. Honestly, like right. I'm just, I've been studying for the past few days. I'm exhausted. I have no motivation. Yeah. Like the simple thing of him texting me, like, I believe in you. Like you got this. Yeah. That shift in him of just like, he just wouldn't like really respond. He'd be like, Oh, like you'll get through it. Or like, like, um, just like, I hope it goes well and stuff like that. Like that stuff's appreciated. It's just like, it's like, he's definitely had a change. It's, it's really, really cool to, um, to see that. And I'm, I'm really, I haven't talked to him about it, but I'm really proud that he's been, I don't even know if he realizes that it's happening, but I definitely think he's gotten more expressive and comfortable with those things. And he's, he's better at providing support for me and my other friend. If we ever do need stuff or, people like your friend who haven't struggled with any sort of like mental health issues of their own and like they have a friend who might be struggling with something like what was what's some advice that you would give that person that might be able to help them like better address what their friends are feeling it's hard because everyone is unique in how they want help so it, it does make it really tough and it's not always easy to be someone's friend when they're dealing with that Mm -hmm. stuff because you can kind of feel dragged down by it. And I, as someone who's experienced a lot, I tend to lend an ear to people who Mm -hmm. are having issues. And I've had times where it's been really helpful for me and really helpful for them. But then I've had times where I've felt negatively affected by the people that I'm trying to help. And Mm -hmm. that that is never a position that you should put yourself in because it's just not good for your happiness or sanity. Mm-hmm. And so I, I urge anybody, if they don't feel comfortable with the things that they're talking about and they feel like their friends are dragging them down to the point where they might need help from someone else, always reach out to someone who's a superior, reach out to somebody who's in a position of power If it's in a dorm, an RA, talk to an RA. But recognizing when something is overwhelming for you is really important. Uh, If it's not overwhelming, I would say one of the best things that you can do is just offer to talk if they want to talk. Mm -hmm. Just letting someone know that you're there for them and actually meaning it is better than asking someone if they're okay or asking someone how they're doing over and over again. Just the simple letting people know that you're there to support them mm-hmm. and you're there to do things for them. Also, things like if they're your friend, asking them to go get lunch with you one day right. or something like that. Doing things that like get them out of the house. Doing things that are productive and helpful and can make them laugh and smile. It's like you, when you're dealing with it really hard, it kind of feels like this, like, black ooze that's like all over your brain and it 
it feels like it's inescapable. And then when you're dealing with it and you've dealt with it, it's kind of like it all gets sucked back up into this little capsule, but that's always there in your brain. Right. And it's really easy to be reminded of it. And I don't really like the word, but like triggered by stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I've watched content where it's like, there's someone committing suicide in it or someone attempting suicide in it. And to, it brings me back to a place. And yeah. so it's something where it's super easy to be reminded about it. So knowing that someone's not going to remind you about it by like asking you how you're doing. Because if I'm depressed, I'm not going to tell you that I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell my parents it for three years. Right. I sometimes tried to lie to my therapist about right. it for years. So if you're just like a semi-close friend, I'm not going to tell you that I'm like depressed. Mm -hmm. And if you're suicidal, I didn't tell anyone I was suicidal until like five years past when I had those feelings. Right. So it's more important when you recognize that someone's in a place where they could use some help, just extending that arm is the important part. I feel like that is that is number one top tier thing that you can do for someone in those positions, in my opinion. And obviously people respond to it differently. There's some people who want to do their own thing in their head, and you have to respect that. Mm -hmm. That's why extending the olive branch... Right is more important than necessarily following up on it. Right. Because it's like you can extend it, and then a week later they could be like, hey, man, I'm having a rough time. Can I talk to you? Right. Or they can, you can just never hear about it, and they they might be fine. So you don't want to force them to yeah. talk about things that they might not want to talk yeah. to you about in that moment. The last thing I would have wanted to do when I was anxious is talk to someone about my anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good advice, and... Um, I know we sort of touched on this a little bit already, but um, the very last thing is just like, like, what would you tell somebody? I know you sort of talked about this when you're talking about like your younger self, like, but what would you tell somebody who's going through something like similar to what you've gone through? I would say it is always important to let at least one person in your life know. I would say that's kind of one of my rules of there should be someone out there that you know is in your corner and you know that you can talk to them about it. I feel like that's kind of a must. And then there's the cliche thing of it gets better. Mm -hmm. That's another thing too. And I've heard of the It Gets Better project before. And as someone who had, who's experienced it getting better, it may feel like you're going to be anxious forever and something's not going to get better or you might want to kill yourself forever. Like those, those feelings are so overwhelming and so robust that it just feels like it's going to be your eternity forever. And it isn't nine times out of 10 mm -hmm. and it's really sad, but it's either going to get better or you're going to die. And it's one of the two things. And if you can keep it from being the negative one, it's only going to get better. And that doesn't mean that there haven't been days where I felt fine one day and then something stupid's happened and I've been super anxious for like a week or a month. Or I've been so overwhelmed that I've thrown up. Like mm -hmm. it's happened since I felt okay. Right. And it's going to happen again, and it's natural, and it's how you handle those moments and recognize that because something that wasn't ideal happened, 
because it happened, it doesn't mean that you're back to square one. It just means that it's part of the evolving process of you working through something. And you should never feel bad about it. You should never feel guilty about it. And it's part of being who you are and it's part of your journey. But know that over time, things do get better and you will feel better as a human being and you'll start to feel like you again. And that is such a beautiful feeling. Yeah. It's just kind of what it is. Yeah, it's really well put. Well, I guess the very last thing. Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. I try and have hobbies. Um, yeah. I watch a ton of YouTube. Um, just I love learning random stuff. Just watching. Who's your favorite YouTube account? Do you have a favorite? Because oh, that's such too hard of a question. Oh, God. That's... <laughs> this is the hardest question of the interview. <laughs> easily. Easily. Uh, I feel like it bounces back and forth, honestly. Like, I just watch so much content and so much random shit uh-huh. on YouTube. Like, I've been super obsessed with rock climbing videos lately. Mm-hmm. So I've been, like, obsessed with all the little terms and techniques and right. stuff. I um, learned how to, like, cast metal from YouTube. I built a metal, f- like, foundry to melt aluminum. I actually what? have it in the basement of my apartment. Huh. So I've, I've made, like, we made, like, a little Pac-Man, like, out of it. We just, whatever you want, it really. It seems like cooler 3D printing to me yeah it's a little <laughs> bit more intense um i actually had more a cru- badass i had a crucible printing. explode on me so oh, like God. after we were cooling it down i went to i thought it was cool enough i went and put it in water and it was like not super pure graphite so it just exploded <gasps> um and i thought i lost a hand when that happened because i just like was so startled i couldn't feel anything for a second um but yeah i had a good laugh about that afterwards <laughs> yeah i mean That's i cool. play tennis i'm hoping to try rock climbing more um, hoping to dance more other kinds of dance, mm-hmm. um, things along those lines. Um, neuroscience major, yeah. so like I said, huge nerd. Um, <laughs> I'm getting minors in bioethics, economics, and public health. Yeah, so I want to go to law school. Um, yeah, I mean, I love to cook. I, um, yeah, I play a lot of video games with my friends. Mm-hmm. It's how I keep in touch with my friends from Chicago. Yeah. I, I game with them all That's the time. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty, pretty normal person in general. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And despite the lack of resources available, all college campuses have some form of therapy and support. Additionally, if you are interested in sharing your story, please email either Annie Knudsen at knudsen.26 at osu.edu. That's K-N-U-D-S-O-N dot 26 at osu.edu or Ishan Rola at rola.3 at osu.edu. That's R-O-L-A dot 3 at osu.edu. We would like to thank our mother organization, Universal Health Aid Columbus, an organization dedicated to improving universal health through preventative medicine, health education, leadership de- and leadership development. 
If you are interested in learning more, go to uhacolumbus.org. That's it for this week. We will see you next week.